Go with me, please, to 1 Timothy, the sixth chapter. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. We began last week on a new series, and our text is right here in 1 Timothy and the sixth chapter. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, what they covet after? Money. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Love of money. Is that a problem? Hmm? Does it show up in a lot of areas? Oh man. Certainly outside believers in the church, but in the church as well. It's a huge, huge problem. So many situations. So many things with people. Why they did what they did. Why they didn't do what they didn't do. Why they said it. Why they acted that way. Why they responded that way. You know, you'd like to think it's more complicated than what it is, but the reality is, it's all about the money. Hmm? We'd like for it to be more complicated than that, but again and again, that's just what it comes down to. It's about the money. And uh, there is this covetousness and this love for money. And... uh, I know you may not see the connection quite fully yet, but having said that, that's why our title is this, Would Jesus Wear a Rolex? (laughs) I mean, what's that got to do with love and money? Everything. And there's some revelation here. I I hope you can stay with us through this entire series because uh, I've been believing God on some of these things for years. Because there were some things that troubled me and bothered me about certain of these areas. And I would, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but I thought, well, why does that bother these folks so much? And why does that, you know, touch my spirit that way? And, and I'm getting answers. I'm seeing some things clearer than I ever have before. And uh, you may think, as we talk about some of these things, if you don't know us, you might think, well, he's just trying to justify their lifestyle or what the church does. But that's really not the issue. The issue is this. If you find fault with other people's prosperity, you'll never have it. What you condemn, you cannot obtain. And here's another thing. If you judge folks for what they're not doing or what you think they ought to do, what happens when you judge? You will be judged by your own words, by what's come out of your mouth, about what you said they should do. You will be judged. You will be held accountable before the Lord, and you'll be judged. I don't think most Christians have seen how serious judging is. Is it true or not? If you judge, you will be. Not might be. You will be judged. But the thing is, So much of what people are doing in judging, they don't call it judging. They'd argue with you. Oh, I'm not judging. And yet, they are. 
A lot of judging starts out like this. Well, I just don't think they should. I think they should. I just don't think that's right. I think they ought to do this. I just think this. Again and again, all that's judging. Judging. So, do you want to be able to prosper? Do you want to have your needs met? Do you want to get to the place where all your needs met and you can be a blessing to other people? Well, then you must not condemn and find fault with other people's prosperity and blessing. And how many don't want to get judged? That if something comes up, instead of judgment, you want mercy. You want, if you do miss it or get crosswise with some things of the Lord, you want grace. You want mercy. Well, the only way you're going to get it is if you don't judge. And even if somebody is doing something wrong, you sow mercy. You sow grace. And there's a whole lot of things that people say, well, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? You need to say, I don't. (laughs) That's between them and the Lord. I don't know their heart. I don't know what they know and what they don't know. I don't know their history. I don't know how they got where they are. Some things may appear this way, but the Lord warned us, don't judge according to appearances. But judge righteous judgment. And the Lord don't look on the outward man and outward appearance. What does he look at? And we can't see that. That's why we are unqualified to judge. Go with me please to John the 12th chapter. And let's begin to answer this question some more. Would Jesus wear a Rolex? (laughs) Now what we mean by that is would he have something, own something, use something, wear something, live in something, drive something that was very expensive. Somebody say very expensive. expensive. Say it again. Very expensive. expensive. (laughs) Well, there are lots of different kind of watches around. You can go to the convenience store and pick up a watch. You can go to uh, Walmart, Target, and they got uh, rubber watches. And plastic watches. Good for working on stuff. Good for swimming. Keep good time, most of them. But then there's other watches. There's uh, $500 watches. There's $1,000 watches. There's $10,000 watches. There's $25,000 watches. There are $100,000 watches. There are million-dollar watches. Oh, yeah. Now, we're going to get into some of these things. A lot of times when you say that, million-dollar watch, some people start getting mad. I mean, that's all you got to say is million-dollar watch. And some folks start going, "Mm -mm." and we're going to deal with that. And it's going to be eye-opening. As time goes on. But that's not really our purpose today. But there are expensive watches. Would Jesus wear a $10,000 watch? Some folks say, no way. No way. And neither should you. <laughs> well, what's that based on? I just know he wouldn't. I don't think he would. I just know he wouldn't. Based on What? And so there's all this conjecture about what would Jesus do? 
And a lot of times people like to kick all that around because they think nobody can answer it. So it's just up to what I think. I don't think he would. And that's just how I feel about it. And that. Well, we don't need to be theorizing about what would Jesus do. We need to look at what he did. Hmm? Focus on what he did and focus on what he said because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it then, that's exactly what he would do now. And if he said it then, that's exactly what he would say now. It's not what would Jesus do, it's what did Jesus do. John 12, are you there? We have, in talking about would Jesus wear a Rolex, we have an exact situation in the Word where Jesus responded to an offer of an expensive gift and he said things about it so we don't have to conjecture and theorize. It's right here. John 12, verse 1. Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now this is amazing. This man was cold, stiff, dead, stinking. Just a matter of hours ago. Now he's sitting at the table with Jesus, eating a biscuit. Or whatever it was. Alive and well. How many think the atmosphere in that house must have been? What would it have been? (laughs) And then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. Say it out loud. Very costly. One translation says very expensive. Very costly. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Would Jesus wear a Rolex? (laughs) Would he wear a $10,000 watch? Would he wear a $20,000 watch? Did he receive a very expensive gift personally? And it's not even something, I mean a watch you might keep for years. If it was a $10,000 suit, you might wear it for years. But this is boom. You smell good. Really good. For what? A day? Two? (laughs) And it's it. And that's what provoked Judas... And the other disciples to say, if you, you have to put the other gospel accounts with this, they said, what a waste. They just exclaimed. They said, what a waste. A waste. What's a waste? Giving all this expensive gift to this preacher. So he's the son of God. They didn't know that. They didn't see that. Now keep reading. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. He's already got betrayal on his mind. And he's going to do it. He said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? 
If you put both comments together from Luke and from here, they said, what a waste. This is such a total waste. It could have been sold. It should have been sold for 300 pence and given to the poor. You could sell that and give it to the poor and help the poor. Now, to hear many people talk today, you would think that is a quote from Jesus. What quote? You could sell that and give it to the poor. Is it a quote from Jesus? Tell me who said it. Say it out loud. Jesus didn't say this. Jesus didn't say this. Judas said this. You could sell that and give it to the poor. Now 300 pence, how much is that? We know without figuring it, very expensive. You don't have to pull out your calculator, you know that. And it's a little difficult to figure money from that far back because if you said today a dollar, you don't think much of a dollar, but a hundred years ago, a dollar could buy something. And you think about if you could buy something a hundred years ago with a dollar, what could you buy 2,000 years ago for 50 cents? So it's... You're getting your mind around it. So what you have to do is just get the equivalent of it. And if you look up the word, the word pence represents the word for the Roman denarius. It was a a silver coin. And it was a common exchange to give one of these coins this amount of money for one day's work. It Frequently, it represented like a man came and was a carpenter or somebody was a stonemason and they worked for a day, you'd give them a denarius. And this ointment that she had in this box that she had was worth how many of these? How many days in a year? So this is approaching a year's salary of somebody working hard all day long. And so it depends on what that would compare to today, but I think easily it's ten thousand dollars, maybe fifteen, maybe twenty. And she gave this to him, and it was just a very momentary thing. I mean, this would be like one meal or just one spa treatment. <laughs> twenty thousand dollar spa treatment. Aromatic <laughs> ointment and Judas and the other disciples too they just burst out and said this is a total waste this is a waste this should have been sold and given to the poor now I want to ask you again who said this not Jesus then why are so many people saying this thinking it's what Jesus would say there are so many people They're saying, oh, oh, that ain't right. They should sell that car and give that money to the poor. It ain't right to have a house that expensive. That's not right. They should sell that and give it to the poor. Who said that? Who are they quoting? They're quoting Judas. Not Jesus. Now I want you to read the next verse. The Bible said, Judas said, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence, you know, 12, 15,000 dollars and given to the poor? 
This he said not that he cared for the poor. (laughs) But because he was a thief. And had to beg. And bear what was put therein. He's talking about the poor. But he doesn't care about the poor. Wonder if it's still that way today. He's talking about this ought to have been given to the poor. But he don't care about the poor. Now this is something that we need to touch on and get into. Jesus corrected him. He corrected all of them. He said, let her alone. If you read the rest of this. You leave her alone. And he received this very expensive personal gift. And he went on to say, this thing that she's done is going to be told. Right? Wherever the gospel is preached, we're talking about it here in Branson. About her very expensive personal gift. And folks say, it could have been given to the poor. Well, now, you know, it would have been the perfect time for Jesus to make a statement, wouldn't it? For him to say, Mary, 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 wait, 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 no, no. Now, maybe your heart's right, and I know you love me, but no, this is not what I've taught you. We don't accept very expensive personal gifts. No. You take that and you feed the poor. It would have been the perfect time. Wouldn't it? It would have been the perfect time to set it straight. We'd all be clear on it today. We'd go, hey, no expensive personal gifts. We could be clear. But by him receiving it and telling them, leave her alone. And telling us, I think so much about this, I'm going to record it forever. We could get the wrong idea that it's okay to receive very expensive personal things. Or is it the wrong idea? It's not. People, religious tradition, and confused and dishonest people are the ones who have started this and preached this and got this going, and it sounds so holy and so wonderful, you should help the poor. But it's a lie. Judah said it, but he didn't care for the poor. So his whole statement and his whole premise is falsehood. Isn't it? Now let's look at this. Did Jesus receiving this gift take food away from the poor and hungry? That's a little weak. Yes or no? Did him receiving this gift mean they couldn't help the poor? He went on to say later, he said, the poor you have with you always. Whenever you want to. You can minister to them. But why does it have to be an either or? Why does it have to be? And yet people want to make it that way. Don't they? Mary, who gave Jesus this gift, was she debating between giving it to the poor or giving it to Jesus? 
Was she, was she kind of halting and, you know, poor Jesus. Jesus or the poor. No, if you'd have come and said, Mary, you ought to give that to the poor. She'd have said, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Her brother is sitting up in there laughing and eating a biscuit. Remember? He was cold and dead. This is her man of God sitting at her table. She loves him. She's thankful to God. This is maybe the most expensive, precious thing she's got. And by giving it and sowing it, she's saying, this is valuable to me, but you are more valuable to me. She's expressing love. She's expressing faith. It's a holy thing. It's a beautiful thing. And yet, Jesus' own followers have the nerve, the presumption, and the dishonesty to say, what a waste. What a waste. Now, I want you to hear the spirit of this, friends, because it's all around us today. What a waste. Ah, I don't like that. That's just too much. That's unnecessary. Nobody needs that. They should be giving that to the poor. Never mind, what are you doing? Sometimes you just need to look at these folk and go, show me how it's done. I'm right behind you, show me. They're do-nothings. They're talkers. They're critics. They're judges, and judges are always not doers. We'll talk about that more as time goes on, but does Jesus receiving this gift prevent ministry to the poor? Well, now let's bring it on right on home here. Does you having something nice prevent the poor being helped? Hmm? How does you living in a nice house take food out of people's mouth? And yet people like to imply that. But it doesn't. And it's not that way. Is it possible that God is so big that he could bless you with something nice and meet the needs of poor and needy as well? Is he really that big? Go to 1 Corinthians 13. Are these things important? They really are. There, there is so much wrong thinking that needs to be changed. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. People like to talk. They like to judge. They like to talk about what other people should do. But let's get serious about it. What if we said, okay, Man, let's do it. Let's liquidate and give everything we've got to the poor. Let's do it. Let's give every dollar we got. Would that be good? Would that be the right thing to do? When we get through doing that, then we all poor. Is that better? Is it good for us to be poor? What should we do? What is right? Look at this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, 
and have not love, it profits me how much? Nothing. Let me read this to you from some other translations. The Young's literal translation says, If I give away to feed others all my goods and give up my body that I may be burned and have not love, I am profited nothing. The New English says, I receive no benefit. The easy to read says, I may give away everything I have to help others. I may even give my body as an offering to be burned, but I gain nothing by doing all this if I don't have love. Is it possible to give away everything you have to the poor and it not please the Lord? And you receive no benefit or profit in this life or no reward in the next for it. Is it possible? You spend every dollar you got. Completely impoverish yourself helping the poor and it not be pleasing to God, not be acceptable, not profit you or reward you anything. The only thing that would make it acceptable is love. Well, would somebody give or give greatly and it not be love? Why would they do it? If it's not motivated by love, why would somebody give to the poor? Or particularly like this, to this degree, why in the world would you? I'll give you two big reasons. One is pride. Spiritual pride. Look how holy I am. Look how selfless I am. Look how spiritual and amazing and committed I am pride. Did you know this is part of what's going on? There are a number of people that are poor and they feel spiritually superior to people that are wealthy. They like to think I am spiritually superior. And the thing that they're making the difference is they have money, I don't. And it's mighty inconvenient not having money but I'm holy. Well, how would you know whether they're holy or godly or not just because they got money? And you don't know them. How would you know anything about it? Pride is a big issue. Big issue. But one of the big ones is also this. Why would people give like this and it's not motivated by love? Guilt. I said guilt. Oh, man. Oh, man. Huge amounts of the so-called charitable giving that's done in this country and around the world, particularly by real wealthy people, there are those who have learned how to go around and call people and go from person to person, and they are ministers of guilt. You know, you live in a big house, you drive a nice car, you live this life, and look at these people. They're starving. They don't have anything. You've been very fortunate in life, and you owe it to those less fortunate than you to do things. Do they? Do you? This kind of stuff is taught in churches. But it's not Bible. I said it's not Bible. How many understand this? Guilt giving 
isn't love giving. They are not the same. Is it possible that this guilt giving would be what he's talking about here? You give all kind of things. But you didn't do it out of love for them because you care about them. You did it because you're ashamed and guilty that you got so much. And you're trying to save your conscience. You're trying to kind of pay back. Make yourself feel a little bit better about having so much when they have so little. I hear some wheels turning. (laughs) I don't know if I like that or not. Hey, don't believe a word I say. Check it out in the book. Bring it right. I'm reading you scripture. I'm telling you the difference between what Jesus said and what Judah said. We need a lot of mind renewal. We do. You do. Us. We need a lot of mind. Why? Because we've been contaminated with centuries of unbelief and poverty thinking and ungodly stuff. We should care about people in need. That's one of the reasons we ought to want to be rich. The poor can't do anything much for the poor. The more you have, the more you can do. But we must not help people because we feel guilty. Or elsewise, it profits us nothing. Are we clear on this? And we must not let people try to shame us into giving and doing this and that. There's so many people. What giving they do is completely guilt and fear motivated. And it is unacceptable to the Lord. Unacceptable. Let's look at this. What if you gave, and every one of us in here gave everything we had to the poor, everything. Would it solve the problems of poverty in the world? Would it? It would help a few people for a little while. But would it put a dent in the world problem? Wouldn't be a drop in the bucket to the world problem. You could take the richest people on the planet, take people like Bill Gates, people like Warren Buffett, and billionaires. They could give every dollar they've got to the poor, and it wouldn't touch a quarter of the need. Wouldn't touch near remotely that much. You look at wealth like some of these guys got a billion, a two, three, five, ten billion. Then you look at what it takes to run the economy of a country. Right. Ain't no comparison. All the wealthy people in the world could give everything they got. It wouldn't put a dent in world hunger and poverty and need. You with me or not? Yes. Don't take my word for it. Search it out. Do the math. Look at it. What do we do? We don't do anything? Yeah, we need to do something. But we don't need to let people shame us and try to make us feel guilty and ashamed for having something nice or having something better than somebody else has. There has been for centuries and centuries this philosophy, this Belief, this teaching, that the rich owe the poor. And it is manifested in complete government experiments like communism, socialism, 
And the teaching and the objective is complete wealth redistribution. And it's very popular in our country right now. It's gaining support. And it is a faithless, godless error and lie. Did you hear me now? People imagine, well, the solution to the problem is you've got a few people that's got all this money and you've got all these people that don't have any, so you just take it from them and distribute it to the poor and everything will be fixed. No, it won't. Ever. For one thing, it's not enough. And secondly, it can't fix it. I said it can't fix it. It can never fix it because man is not his own savior. And man is not his own provider. Can't be. A couple of the biggest reasons why people are in such poverty and hurting and starving, perishing. One is cruel and ungodly leaders, dictators who just steal the country blind and wars of oppression just trying to wipe out different parts and factions and tribes. Well, what's the answer to that? What's the answer to cruel and evil leaders like this? I said, well, the U.S., go in there and pull them out. (laughs) No, no. We're not the Savior. We can't fix everything. But the Bible said God can. I said God can. Somebody say God can. Oh, say it again, God can. The Bible says in Jeremiah 20, 13, don't turn there. It says, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. He has delivered the soul of the poor from the hand of evildoers. Can he do it? So what is their answer? Their answer is the same answer your answer is. Same answer my answer is. God. He's the deliverer. Another reason why so many are in such abject poverty is because of drought and famine. Year after year after year, completely failing of crops. Well, what's the fix to that? Hmm? You're right again. Same answer. Same answer. God is the... Listen to this. Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue fails for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. The God of Israel will not forsake them. I'll open rivers in the high places, fountains in the midst of the valleys. I'll make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. Who's the answer? When it ain't rained for years, when nothing will grow, no crops, no herds, people are starving. Who's the answer? God is the answer. Not you, not me, not the U.S. God. 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 What if somebody's starving to death? What's their answer? Same answer your answer is. What do you do when you need something? What do you do when you don't have enough? You believe God. You pray. You sow your seed. 
You claim you harvest. You stand. What's their answer? Exactly the same answer. Is yours. Is there an answer to world poverty? World hunger? Yeah, we got the answer. Got it. But a lot of folks don't want it. They don't want that. They won't accept that. So how can we fix it? How can you fix it? People won't receive the Lord. That's a problem. Look in Deuteronomy 15, please. Deuteronomy 15. Jesus quotes this in this situation where Mary gives him this expensive gift. He said, the poor you'll have with you always. And it comes from this passage right here. Deuteronomy 15. Jesus quoted the word. What should you and I quote? The word. Deuteronomy 15 and 4. He said, save when there shall be no poor among you. The margin says, to the end that there be no poor among you. For the Lord shall greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. For an inheritance to possess it. Is he saying they could get to the place where they have no poor? Is he saying that? Has that always been his plan? And his will. Look at the very next verse though. Only, only if you carefully hearken to the voice of the Lord your God to observe to do all these commandments which I command you this day. For the Lord your God blesses you as he promised you and you'll lend unto many nations. You'll not borrow. You shall reign over many nations. They shall not reign over you. Would God do that for any people? On any continent? Anywhere? Yes. So he tells them how to get to the place where they have no poor. Because see, why are we talking about this? Because there's a lot of people who try to tell you, now see God in his mysterious ways, he chose for them to be poor. And we don't understand all that. But if you are fortunate enough to have some wealth, you know, it's, you really ought to feel like you owe them. Because they can't help it. God chose for them to be poor. It's a lie. I said it's a lie. Keep reading. Down in verse 11. He said this. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. I thought we could get to the place where there were no poor. Isn't that what he just said? Yes, then he says, the poor, y'all, is always going to be there. Yes, How does that jive? How does that go together? Because he knew they wouldn't obey. Yes, hmm? Yes. Is there an answer to world hunger? Yes. World poverty? Yes. So what about all these innocent children? They never did anything. No, and that's one of the saddest things, that children are affected by their parents. It's just a fact. And when generation after generation after generation reject God, won't believe in Him, won't obey Him, won't serve Him, 
The young innocents are going to pay a price. It's awful. It's sad. But friend, there is no other solution. What's the solution? Is there a solution to world hunger? Is there a solution to world poverty? Is it taking the money away from all the rich? The rich people selling their cars and selling their houses? If all of us sold our cars and houses, it would not fix it. It wouldn't put a big dent in it. I'm telling you, do the math, look. But there is a solution. What is it? What is, everybody gets saved. Everybody gets born again. Everybody receives Jesus as Lord. Everybody believes on God as their provider. Everybody starts tithing and starts sowing their seed and start believing God and start claiming harvest. And this world would change, my brother and sister. I'm telling you, here would come the rain. Cruel dictators would be removed. Prosperity would come. How many believe it? But is that going to happen worldwide? No, it's not. Why? Because people don't want that answer. They won't accept that. They won't believe it. They won't do it. Now, think about this. Should I, because an unbeliever tells me I should, should I take the prosperity that God has given me and give it to somebody who blasphemes my Jesus and tells me I'm a fool for believing in God? Do I owe it to them and help them so they can pray to a rock? So people are not thinking. And when they say, you owe me, they're acting like there's no God. Because the truth is, I owe you love. I don't owe you money. Are you with me now? And uh, everybody on the planet has the same opportunity to believe in the same God and have the same source. And have the same provision. I know folk don't like it. I know it's politically incorrect. But the truth often is. Is it the truth or not? Now we ought to desire. To be a blessing to people in need. That doesn't mean. We close our hearts. It doesn't mean we say. Well there's no need. Do nothing. We ought to be particularly. Interested in this. People who are hurting. And believe in God. Come on now, son. People who are hurting and believe in God, we ought to be particularly interested in being blessed enough and wealthy enough that God could tap us on the shoulder and say, do this for them. And using us to meet their needs. How many are interested in that and you're hungry for that? Well, just doing that keep you busy the whole the rest of the time. But you can't give what you don't have. How much can the poor help the poor? Look with me in Psalm 112, and I'm thinking about getting ready to close. Psalm 112. (laughs) There's so much inconsistency, so much dishonesty, hypocrisy. When people say, how in the world can you justify driving a $50,000 car and people are starving? Well, how can you justify driving a $15,000 car 
while people are starving. How can you justify driving any car while people are starving? Hmm? See, people never use this on their self. Some way or another, it doesn't apply to them. They're immune. It only applies to you. You should help the poor. How do you know I don't? Well, you should do more. How do you know how much I've done? How much is enough? Hmm? 20%? 30%? Half? How much have you done? I mean, understand what I'm talking about now. This is a bunch of junk. How many remember Judas is talking about what ought to be done for the poor? And what did the very next verse say? He don't care about the poor. This is not about the poor. But he's talking about the poor. Oh, the poor. Oh, the poor. And it's a big, fat lie. Phony baloney. What should we do? How far do we go? And who said you decided? Who made you the standard? (laughs) And does me having a nice car prevent the poor being helped? Does you living in a decent house prevent hungry people from being fed? How does it? Why would it? That's acting like there's no God. Did you find Psalm 112? Well, you should help the poor. (laughs) Well, that's great. That's good. But does that mean being poor? Does helping the poor mean becoming poor? Hmm? Boy, y'all think different than a lot of folks. Psalm 112, are you there? Psalm 112. And down in verse uh, 4. It says, Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious. He's full of compassion and righteous. A good man shows favor and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He'll not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He'll not be afraid till he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. At what? At him being exalted with honor, the wicked are going to be grieved and he'll gnash with his teeth and melt away and his desire of the wicked is going to perish. This is a righteous man, righteous woman, compassionate, godly, a giver, ministers to the poor. But do they become poor in doing so? Hmm? Are they impoverishing themselves By ministering to the poor. No, back up and read the first part of the psalm. 
Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears the Lord, that delights great in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth. If you know other scriptures, you know he's talking about money. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. This is the same man that's giving and helping the poor. Verse 3, wealth and riches shall be in his house. He's helping the poor, and he's rich, and he's got super expensive stuff in his house. Am I reading the Bible? Huh? Then why do people think it's such a horrible thing? Such an ungodly, Jesus would never do it. Oh, Jesus, Jesus would never do it. One fellow said, you know, some of these folks come into town on a jet. Jesus came on a donkey. He never come in a jet. Well, he never came in a car either. But I still see millions of those folks riding in cars. It's such ignorance and such hypocrisy. And he was made poor. We've already got into that. If you weren't with us the first time, we saw the scripture. Why was he made poor? So you could be poor? No. He was made poor so you could be Rich. Bible. Hmm? How can you help the poor if you are poor? Very limited in what you can do. Also this. If you're poor, devastated, barely subsisting, how attractive is that for the poor to come want to be like you? The poor unbelievers look at you and go, That's what I want to do. No, wait a minute. I'm already doing that. (laughs) The Bible talks about our lives are supposed to adorn the gospel. Right? What does that mean? Make it attractive. Our lives are supposed to be attractive. Now you understand this. You can have billions and that don't make you rich. It just means you got money. Right? You can have all kind of money and be miserable. Takes a lot more than money to make you rich. Rich in God is satisfied, fulfilled, happy family. Glory to God. Serving the Lord. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Peace when you lay your head on the pillow. And you got all your needs met. And desires fulfilled. Now I'm understand somebody that's in sin and broke and abject on the outside looking at that. They want that. I want that. I want a Jesus that'll save you and cleanse you and remove all your condemnation and heal you and pay your bills and get you out of there. Sign me up. Sign me up now. They want a Jesus. Can you see why the devil is so insidious? And persistent about fighting healing, fighting prosperity, fighting being filled with the Spirit and joy and peace. Why? Because he don't want people to see how good this is. He wants them to stay in the dark and stay away by the millions. Godly prosperity is attractive. It is highly attractive. And so you ought to just shine, shine, shine. Let God bless you, bless you, bless you, until people 
find you impressive. You say, me? Yeah, that's right. Because they don't know him yet. They're going to see you. And they go, man, man, you're something. And you say, you think I'm something? You ought to see my Jesus. Everything I have, he gave me. Everything I'm able to do, he did it for me. And he'll do the same thing for you. But there ought to be something about your life that is attractive to unbelievers and to hurting people. No wealth and riches will be in your house. Listen to this, Proverbs 19, 17. He that has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and that which he's given will he pay him again. The Lord's going to pay you back. How are you going to go broke? Helping the poor in faith and love, the Lord takes it as a personal loan. How are you going to go broke doing this? Proverbs 28, 27 says, He that gives to the poor shall not lack. So this idea of impoverishing yourself so that others could have is you trying to play Jesus the Redeemer. You are not and never will be the substitute. He has already been their substitute. He became poor so they and you could be rich. Right? And you, this, some of this stuff is really disrespectful to the gospel and to redemption. We're going to save the poor. Jesus already done it. He beat you to it. <laughs> right? We're going to save the world. That's what Jesus came for. He's already done it. He's already done it. Somebody say glory to God. So would Jesus wear a Rolex? He sure received some nice perfume, didn't he? Stand up on your feet, everybody. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.